Welcome to episode 141 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded December 12th, 2021. My name is Ian. The coup is complete, and tonight I'm the host of the show. We've kicked Eric off for at least a week or so. Let's see if he shows up next week anyway. I'm a student preparedness and hobby farmer on Vancouver Island. I'm Alan. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, and overall safety nerd. And I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, and general overall handyman. And I'm Darius, located in south-central Alberta. I've been prepping now for over 10 years. I'm a local mag leader, and I'm going to say it on here for the first time. I'm hoping to soon be a ham radio operator. Well, you got like five more months before you... Besides me. <laughs> yeah, I know. You got like five more months before you can beat Jeff's record. <laughs> and I, actually, I love how you threw in that south-central. It sounds kind of tough. You know? <laughs> it's a rough neighborhood. <laughs> the south side of Alberta is the baddest part of the province. Yeah. Uh, if you want to help support the show, keep the Canadian Prepper podcast on the air. Buy some swag, please. Uh, make great stocking stuffers. We have both the Canadian Prepper podcast t-shirt and the super awesome Wicked Cool Tactical Velcro patch available at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled, which in this particular instance is getting a fair workout this week. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or if there's a topic you want us to cover, just send us an email at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, Eric is missing, but the dad jokes are not. We have some waterlogged content for you this episode. We're going to start off with some uh, great recent news, update our personal preps, then we'll get into the main topic, which is floods and how we deal with them news time oh just like where do we start i mean i guess the top of the list ontario says just kidding about the vaccine passports ending in january Uh, apparently we did not comply to a satisfactory level and therefore um omicron and omnicron and decepticon variants are going to kill us all and therefore we have to keep going with our enhanced passports while the people across the river from us in Michigan just live their lives. Thanks, Uncle Dougie. Appreciate yeah, I put that. in the original article about that that said it was going to be a temporary measure, just like income tax was a temporary measure uh, back in September. So in the space of three months, it went from temporary to fuck y'all, we're just going to carry on. And now yeah, well, we don't know when. <laughs> Yeah, I heard something I'll, today I'll the saying that they were to take credit. I called it and said that uh, there was no way that they were going to spend millions of dollars on that um, that app and walk oh, away yeah. in three months. You you absolutely nailed that, Jeff, without question. I'm I'm so sad that you were right. <laughs> yeah, I know it hurts. I, I, I hate it. I, I hate I hate it. Hurts that you were to admit right, it, doesn't it? Without question. Yeah. Uh, what else did we run into this week? Um, some really crazy weather coming in. Um, there were five meter waves on Lake Erie yesterday. So five meters for the rest of the world or for, for, for half of our listening audience is, uh, what? 45 feet. Well, five meters is 15 feet, 15 feet, 17 feet approximately, um, 17 foot waves, which is a lot for a lake. Um, it had all the rivers that dump into Lake Erie from, from Ontario running backward which I can't imagine is any kind of good for any level of ecosystem. Um, 
that same storm system brought uh, record tornadoes through Kentucky, which killed a lot of people. Um, I was reading upwards of 100 uh, dead and missing, like an entire town was flattened. And, uh, man, between all of these things, I think I'm just going to go take a bottle of whiskey and go sit in my bunker and not come out for a few months. It's, uh, if, if this, if there was ever a reason to go to DEF CON 2, this is it. Well, yeah, if only we had a bunker or only I had a bunker, that'd be great. But, um, yeah, the river's running backwards. Does that mean like the steel mills would actually get the pollution sent back to them? Or how does that work exactly? <laughs> Uh, I don't think it was going up that far, but I know most of the South Shore of Erie, uh, or the North Shore of Erie, which you know includes kind of Niagara down to, um, I think they were saying Port Bruce as as far as far west as that. Um, they were uh, they were telling people like sandbag your house right now and be prepared to evacuate because we're not going to be able to come get you. Um, a department, a fire department that responds to that area, was actually uh, actually had to go out. And there's some pretty dramatic. Uh, um, video that is kind of floating around Facebook in, in my groups anyways um, of the fire department going out and rescuing somebody off the pier where he was you know at the lighthouse I don't know exactly why this particular person was at the end of this pier with 15 foot waves crashing down around him but um, they had to go out and get him with like on a on a like a multi-point line release or multi-point line to keep the keep the people safe, but it was, uh, oh man, it was nasty. Sounds like yeah, well, they, they, they should have asked him for his credit card number first. He should have been paying for it. You want to do something stupid like that, I you haven't. should pay for your rescue. <laughs> there was, uh, there, there may, there may be some mitigating factors like mental health that, uh, um, that were not, that, that aren't publicly known yet, but it's, uh, Insane. It was it was nasty. Anyways, um, yeah, lots of power outages around, lots of trees down. Um, it's it was a, it's been a wild twenty four hours. So I hope everybody can still hear us. I hope everybody fared fairly well, and we're uh, you know we're moving on, I guess. And uh, listener, you know, Danny, about Australia. Yeah, we supposed we could talk about them for a second before I forget. Uh, listener, Denny, uh, I hope you're getting somebody to hold the ladder while you're putting up the Christmas tree right now. Don't fall and create a problem. Um, but if you do, make sure you get it on film because that's always funny. I love watching people fall down. Uh, Australia, yeah, that's uh, always a good one. So Australia's got the camps going right now. Uh, you can enjoy yourself a free two-week stay in their little camps. There's been some leaked footage from those. It's been pretty good. Um, Austria, the other Australia, has been uh, tabled legislation now that they're offering to imprison unvaccinated people for a year for not being vaccinated. First they said, turn in your guns. Then they yeah. said, get on the train. Yeah, that's, uh, that escalated quickly. Anyway, but that's... Uh, yeah. I'm going to make a comment on that because that pretty much speaks for itself. Um, saber rattling going on, of course. we got uh, Chinese uh, are warning the Americans to stay away from Taiwan. The Russians are telling the Americans to just keep taking the bribes and stay away from Ukraine. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention too is Evergrande officially went in default this week, and of course, every says don't panic, which is a sure sign you should panic probably economically. <laughs> so. Don't worry, we have everything under control. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I knew yeah. exactly what to do, but in a much more real sense, I had no idea what to do. Yeah, opposite headline theory on that one for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. funny because Evergrande went into default, and then their second largest also went into default at the same time. 
Yeah, isn't that funny isn't, how that isn't that, that works? exactly what happened in 1929? There, there, there's a there's a domino effect. Isn't that yeah. exactly what happened? And not to mention the, who, who's exposed with Evergrande bonds too, right? Like uh, everybody from Tether, the uh, cyber cryptocurrency, to Royal Bank of Canada, to a bunch of other people, all have invested money in Evergrande. So contagion is a thing, you know. <sighs> Everything's great. It's going to be fantastic. I'm well stocked <laughs> with whiskey. That's all that really counts. Oh, Alan, I'll give you some uplifting information. Ha ha. Uh, so one of my news articles is uh, basically the cyber attacks just keep coming. Uh, so far, the government has admitted to, so of course there's going to be obviously much more, uh, that they've admitted to 235 ransomware incidents against Canadian targets so far in 2021. Uh, more than half were what they considered critical infrastructure providers, including hospitals. Uh, I believe it was Newfoundland that they they hammered. Uh, there's been several small towns in my area that um, got, I guess, caught up in it. They had to pay lots of money to get all their computers back. Um, I've, I've said it before, that's one of my, my big concerns with everything. I mean, outside of, you know, the solar flares and that affecting our power grid, my biggest concern is, is a cyber attack. I mean, look what they did to the Colonial Pipeline there a few months ago. And um, I mean, the government says they're taking it seriously, but are they really? Well, hopefully they paid the spyware people in cryptocurrency like Tether, so that it's hopefully worthless by next week, and in which case crime won't pay. Maybe silver linings, I'm just saying. Yeah, but then if the crime doesn't pay, but they still know how to get into the infrastructure, they'll just make it worse the next time. Yeah, I know. I know. So, and uh, like um, Alan mentioned, and and first off, I'll I'll pass on my condolences to everybody in, in the States who was affected by that uh, tornado line that went through. Uh, is possibly the longest single tornado line in U.S. history. It certainly was the largest outbreak in the month of December. Uh, as they said, some major towns uh, were literally obliterated. Um, Mayfield, Kentucky was one of them. They had a, a candle factory collapse that had 111 people, I believe, in it. And so far, there's uh, 70 bodies been recovered, and they're still looking for more. Uh, Bowling Green got hit pretty hard. Memphis got hit. Uh, a lot of other, a lot of other small towns. So, um, worst part about well, not I mean that was the worst part about it. Those storms have always, always concerned me, especially when they're nocturnal. It's nighttime. You can't see. You don't know it's coming until it's on you. Uh, and that's well, always been something that has uh, literally kept me up at night when the, uh, when the tornadoes or we have bad weather up here that I'm literally up up at night anyways and so but uh link to ctv news article of course the uh up here we didn't get any tornadoes but we did get major uh major winds uh port colburn in ontario uh southern ontario there registered a peak gust of 113 kilometers an hour um there if it was spinning year, that's a that's an ef2 yeah Yep. Last uh, last check on Hydro One website, they were down to uh, about ninety four thousand people still without power. Um, as I said, um, one of the people I know in my local snowmobile club, he was without power for twenty six hours. 
Um, there's still people out there that are without power. So um, stay safe. Um, as Alan would know for sure, you come across any downed wires, stay away. You never know if they're still alive. Don't go near them. Let the professionals deal with it. Well, okay. So quick question. Like I know December is I'm not trying to be a smart ass, but I mean like December is not normally known for convective weather. So like because of heating and stuff, you guys having a warm spell too? Yeah, actually it yep. got uh, at my place on Saturday, it got up to uh, 16 degrees. No, wasn't there yeah. long. But yeah, it was, it was it 17 degrees, degrees yesterday morning. Beautiful so day, except for the 100 kilometer an hour winds. Yeah. yeah, so there's obviously some funky weather going on for sure. Oh, that's yeah, one of the news parts I was listening to, I can't remember the, the town. They said on average this year, their temperature is in the mid-50s. They peaked out at 81 degrees the day of the uh, the storms. Yeah, so basically spring, summer weather, yeah, so that makes sense. Yep, yep. And then I threw in one there. It's actually from CBC, but it's being covered by every news station that I've been able to find so far. If you didn't need a reason to prep from all of these, um, government's now saying that food prices are expected to jump as a result of all the damaged supply lines come the new year, in that by the end of next year, um, Canadians can expect to pay um, in excess of $1,000 more. Um, for food than their regular bills. Awesome. Just absolutely fantastic. On top of everything else. Just needs to need to break out the canners more often. I guess, uh, what was it? Uh, JP Morgan finally fell in line with the rest of the crowd and said, yeah, they're probably going to uh, raise rates next year. They figured they're going to raise rates for at least three times next year. Uh, and that, even though the industry is only like quarter percent right now, but they say like a, 11 fold increase which sounds bad at first and they realize that it's gonna that means it's just going to what three percent but still that would devastate a lot of people for their debt loads right so yeah, oh, yeah three percent can be dangerous yeah. yeah there's all kinds of people who you know bought uh bought the biggest house they could afford and they're literally topped out every paycheck and yeah you raise their rates one or two percent they're they're in a world of trouble yep especially carrying giant mortgage so Anyway, enough happy news for that. I guess uh, we should probably move into what we learned lately for preps. So uh, with the incoming weather and uh, everything that we had, I'll, uh, I just made sure my generators were functioning properly and I had a sufficient supply of fuel in stock. Fair enough. Didn't need it, but I had it. Well, like you said, better to need it, not have it. Or, sorry, have it, not need it. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, exactly. Um, as for myself, yeah, actually, I just been tired as can be from work. I just, uh, yeah, been a little bit overwhelming lately. Um, anyways, a little bit of brass prep, uh, been doing some flood mitigation of my own. Speaking of t very topical stuff. Uh, yeah, I had to keep rebuilding that trench cause it keeps getting washed out. That's above the house. Uh, some pumps been going nonstop. We've had snow and rain and everything else. Like, I think we had, uh, again, you know, months worth of rain in the space of a couple of days and it hasn't really been helping the situation around here, but Dealing with that as best we can. Um, naturally, some CGN deals mostly work. Uh, just been with the supply chains the way they are here on the island because of the highway closures. Just been trying to maintain maintain what we have so we're not digging into our food stocks and gas stocks and stuff. So just kind of keep everything super topped up. And then uh, currently snow. So, uh, yeah, I guess expect some more road closures. But, uh, yeah, that's been pretty low-key around here lately. Sounds like they're making some good progress trying to get some more, more of the roads open there, though, right? Yeah, it sounds like they got one for emergency vehicles now, so. Well, that's 
better than zero, I guess. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, I also um, got my generator out yesterday and uh, gave it a good run, topped up the fuel, got everything laid out. Um, before the show off the air, I was talking about um, setting up a setting up a through the a through the wall system for my uh, for my generator so that I could run power inside the house. And Jeff says, "Oh yeah, just get this kit from Home Depot." Uh, it's amazing what happens when you just ask the right questions in a forum like this, and uh, all of a sudden I don't have to build a solution that I was trying to come up with on my own. Uh, I just have that now, so that's that's going to be on my list for maybe over the Christmas break. I'll uh, uh, I'll get those installed, one in the house, one in the shop, and see how we go there. Um, made some uh, made some two meter ham, co ham contacts with a couple of local gentlemen. One of them own, uh, runs a, a local repeater station, which is nice, uh, and it's a crossband repeater. So I was actually able to listen into uh, it's the same repeater that I was talking about on the last show, where I was where we caught um, the uh, the uh, Mexican station calling into us. Uh, so that was pretty cool. It was nice to chat with them. Um, so if they're listening, nice to talk to you guys. Um, did make some some progress in my garage getting closer to being able to power it up and drywall it in and heat it hopefully someday soon uh, i really wanted this done like three months ago but here we are now um got another stripe on my jujitsu belt it's always a, a moment of pride um that's uh it, it means i can you know i can take a beating and in this case um i managed to actually do something that looked like jujitsu and my coach happened to notice so um, thanks, Jeff. You're awesome. Uh, had to check up with my GP, make sure everything was working the way it should, get blood work and all that good stuff. And spent most of this week wrapping up my job. I started a new gig on Monday. Wanted to set up my successor with all his things he needed to be successful. So that's uh, that was my week. I actually almost worked a little bit. So You're like the new Ian. This is fantastic. <laughs> uh, again, just getting really good at documenting it. That's all. Yeah. Oh, uh, from listener Mike, before we get to Darius, uh, listener Mike says he was in Camos, BC working for two weeks. When he got there, surprise, there was no food on the store shelves. So, at any oh. store, so be prepared. Actually, I went to high school with a guy with the same name. That's kind of weird. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's that. Darius, well, Mike, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Mike and Johnson are probably the two most <laughs> common individual names in, in Ontario, in, in Canada. Probably, anyways, something like that. Getting probably. close, anyways. Hey, Mike, are you by chance from Canmore? <laughs> <laughs> Different mic. I don't know. So I worked uh, six out of seven days this week. Um, then got off work and had to break out all the shovels and the salt because we had a huge snowstorm and on topped it off and ended up with freezing rain. So got all that cleared out nice. so we could actually get to the vehicles and then studied for my uh, ham testing and then I'm on here tonight. I have tomorrow off, and then I'm back to work for another four days. Oh, yeah. Thorico from the uh, Discord group, he passed his ham radio exam with, like, 95 or 96 this week, so that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. I guess being topic time. Um, yeah, Darius, take it away. Okay. So we decided today with everything that was going on in BC, we're going to talk about some flood mitigation. Um, so we'll start off with definition of a flood just to kind of cover the basics. Um, definition of a flood would be an overflowing of a large amount of water beyond its normal confines, especially over what is normally dry land. 
So anywhere where you uh, wouldn't want the water to usually be. Can be caused by heavy rain, rapid melting snow, ice. Geography can also make an area more likely to flood. So if you're near rivers or um, banks that like to overflow, large hills if you're at the bottom of it, any kind of melt-off can cause um, all that water to run down in the area just below it to flood. If you're near the coast, ocean waves coming on sort from stuff like storm surges, melting ice jams, or if you're more landlocked, dams and levees breaking upstream from you are very high causes of flooding. New Orleans, for example, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And then also um, hurricanes and tsunamis, um, sometimes caused by seismic activities or volcanic activities, can also cause a raise in water levels. Yeah, not to steal BC stutter either, but I guess uh, Saint, uh, Newfoundland had a bunch uh, last week as well, right? They had some uh, storm surges and excess rain that created a bunch sure. of flooding over on that side too, didn't it? Yeah, they yeah washed out uh, parts of the Trans Canada and a couple places, and um, I didn't I didn't link the news in here, but it's funny that uh, Darius mentioned tsunamis um, and that off the coast of Oregon last week they had, I believe it was sixty four earthquakes in a period of 36 hours um about 10 of them were uh, five or higher on the uh on the richter scale so interesting who knows uh i mean everybody keeps saying the big one's coming is this a precursor to it who knows it's right on the on the fault line so it's not uncommon that they get them but they did say that was uncommon to have that many in such a short time mm. well yeah, i suppose if, if we're gonna if we're gonna have uncommon things we might as well have them in this year they were saying the interesting thing about that one is that it's running on one of two parallel fault lines I believe is what they were saying yeah once the so, Cascadia which is the extension of the San Andreas off of uh, uh, California um, and it's just underwater and then the other one I can't remember what the other one's called but it was the other one anyway further it out seems like a really bad place to put a to put a, a city you know yeah well, speaking of bad places to put a city, how about like building a place with names like High River? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least that's not Low River. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the river does get high and High River, it turns out. Same thing with, uh, you know, like, I guess we should get to rule number one, don't live on a floodplain. So, you know, we had this discussion when I lived in Edmonton, too, is like the Edmonton River Valley is a gorgeous valley. Um, and, you know, it only gets flooded once every hundred years. But if you're in that particular year, well, then you shouldn't be shocked when it floods, right? And uh, it's amazing how many subdivisions and housing projects and everything get started in uh, floodplains, river valleys, like the wrong side of Duff's Ditch in Winnipeg, like if you get the Red River flooding. And they always seem yeah. to be surprised. It's kind of like, and I, I'm not picking on people down the States, but like living in Tornado Alley and having a tornado, it, it does happen, you know, like, <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it, it's kind of, kind of a cause and effect, right? If you put a, if you put a house in, in the way of a tornado, there's a really good chance that house is eventually going to knock it, get knocked down. Yeah. So I guess we should probably talk about if we know if a uh, flood is coming, uh, Darius, what would you do for, uh, for like kind of preemptive stuff? Um, if I knew a flood was coming, uh, generally the first thing I'll do is check over electrical equipment, make sure that there's nothing in an area that's going to get wet or cause a shock hazard. Um, you were talking earlier about uh, digging some trenches and stuff like that. If you're in an area where it's likely to flood, go around and 
try and divert those paths for water. So the 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 three Ds of the three Ds of has of hazmat containment: diking, damming, diverting. Oh, I thought you were going to say dilution. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't think you, I don't think diluting a flood would help in, in any way. Yeah, I was going to say like diluting the hazmat, just throw it in the ocean or something. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, that's that's one of the main reasons I do it uh, with the trenches above my house because I'm on like a terrorist kind of property. So as it goes down each level, I just rather have it just kind of go around the house as it's going down the hill. So yeah, maintaining those trenches is kind of important this time of year. Yeah. So, and I mean. Depending on the cause of the flooding, there's some things that you can do locally at home, and then there's stuff that obviously would have to be done on a more provincial or municipal level if they're expecting, say, large storms and whatnot. Um, so stuff that you can do at home is like digging the uh, trenches, sandbagging if you have um, areas that are easy to just drop a bag and then monitor it after that. Um, for larger things that can be taken care of, um, the city may do selective power shutdowns. I know I was in Calgary when they were uh, had their huge flooding issue a number of years back, and um, as the flooding hit, they started shutting off substations um, so that they weren't overloaded when the water er, contacted them. Um, evacuations of areas that are likely to be affected um, by emergency personnel, road closures, and then um diverting water from upstream um using either dams or uh, levees and other options like that so it turns out sandbags aren't just for pillboxes and and uh, and bunkers then right yeah it just means we got to find more and stock up you can use it for everything <laughs> well, i was gonna say it's it's, it's like the, it's like the multi-tool of keeping yourself safe absolutely uh, well, you mentioned the power thing too. Like, actually, I did, it kind of came to me when you mentioned the power outage uh, uh, and you know selective shutdowns and stuff. But I think also you don't want to contribute to the problem if you have any like power bars on your basement floor, uh, low hanging fruit for for electrical outlets. I would say you make sure you try and uh, shut off what you can as to, at the local level around your house too, right? Yeah, you don't exactly. leave anything on your basement floor. Like, put everything up six Pretty inches, and, and yeah. Well, that's what you do, if you, right? If you have things on your basement floor, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, because you have like some sort of shelving set up on that, right? I thought you did. Oh, I've, I've got I've got water in my basement on a, on a consistent basis. There's a there's a crack in the foundation where the where the addition meets the original structure, and um, so yeah, we put we put racking up everywhere, yeah. and I put steel racking up uh, from like from Uline the like the metro metro shelving. Mm -hmm. um, so we keep everything six inches off the ground, um, so that. We just we expect that there's going to be water, right? We're going to do our best to get rid of it, but uh, I just expect that there's going to be water. So I have you know fans and dehumidifiers running 24 hours a day to keep air circulating and keep things dry, and then I just don't put anything on the floor. Yeah, the other thing we end up doing uh, to mitigate that is keeping everything in plastic totes. So we just get interlocking totes, and then anything that's going into our basement is going into a tote and being stacked. Well, yeah, especially whether it be like a moist basement, moist climate, whatever, it never hurts to have that because you get at least like an extra foot and a half of uh, waterproofing then before it actually like breaches the rim of that. Exactly. But uh, I also put it in the mylar too just to keep the moisture out of the food if you're storing food in there and everything else. Um, or yeah, I was going to say, just be, be aware if, if there is moisture in your basement that um, those totes, as good as they are at keeping water out, they're not very good at breathing. Uh, yeah. So if there's any humidity inside those totes, everything inside will get moldy really quickly. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. So you still got to seal it off as well, or put it in plastic ammo cans or whatever you have handy. Yeah. Just yeah. Um, you mentioned pipeline shutdowns. That's uh, never thought about that one. Yeah, so, um, and this is one thing that actually happened during the BC flooding, is that when there's a suspected flooded area, um, just to help uh, stop any kind of contamination or any damage, um, major pipelines uh, may be shut down, that way there's no flow in the areas that are affected by the flooding, that way if they're damaged, you're not also suddenly having an oil spill on top of the flooding. So um, that's become a common practice for any of the companies that have been, you know, doing their safety and risk analysis properly. Hmm. Well, yes. And and I've got I've got in mind for even even at the the very local home level, if you've got gas appliances in your basement, uh, your furnace, your hot water heater, whatever, good idea to turn them off. If they get flooded, um, mm-hmm. it's it's going to put the uh, the pilot light out, and then once the water recedes. Uh, you may well end up getting a gas leak out of it. Well, I would think you would still keep bubbling up, would it not? Like the pilot light amount, small amount of gas, but still going to keep bubbling in your basement, I would think. And it doesn't exactly, it doesn't float, does it? It's pretty either neutral or negative, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The other thing that you should be checking or have somebody who knows what they're doing check is the safety shutoffs on your um, gas for your furnace if you have one for the pilot lights and such just to make sure that that switch is properly disconnecting. Hmm. And that switch is high enough that it doesn't get wet either. In, in a perfect world. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what else are we going to talk about here for preemptive uh, stuff? I guess... Uh, start, start with the grading on your house too, right? The grading of your, of your property. Make sure that all... that everything slopes away. Um, I... I know where, like where I live, my house is older than the road. So as the road's been built up over the years, everything slopes from the road down to my foundation. Um, so we've got uh, that's that's going to be next year's plan is is truck in all the um, all the fill and soil to build that to build my entire front yard up, you know, almost eight inches and flow it the other way so that water doesn't build up in my um, on my property. Yeah, uh, of course, I think most people in Ontario and your neck of the woods anyways have sump pumps anyway, but I mean, never heard to have one of those industrial-sized water transfer pumps to yep. keep the basement uh, as empty as possible, or at least mitigate the damage once it's happened, rather yep. than rushing and, to the store afterwards. And backups, right? Two is one, one is none. Um, like where where I am, because, my, because I've got an addition on the house, uh, I have two sump pumps, but I also have a portable pump as a backup. Um, that's all right. That's always ready to go. So if one of them fails or if it's overwhelmed, we can plug that in and keep water moving. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I, I had that on my list actually. And that was, uh, last night when my power was out shortly, somebody that I, I work with lives just down the road and they are in a very low area and, uh, called me in a panic and said my backup, um, battery, for my sump pump, something's wrong and it's not pumping and it's an inch from the top. And anyways, I went down, I was about to fire up my generator when the power come back on, but that was the thing. They, uh, they got it and kind of really never kept an eye on it. Just figured, you know, every once in a while I'll go and look at it. And if it makes a funny noise, there's a red button that says silence and they would just hit the silence. I said, well, but what was making it beep? Well, I don't know. The guy that put it in just told me every time it beeped to just push the red button. 
<laughs> well, find yourself uh, a new contractor. <sighs> so, I mean, it was a it was a good setup. I mean, the battery was was four feet off the ground, and and it was a submersible pump, and everything would everything would have been great. But the battery was dead, and the for some reason the system didn't seem to be wanting to charge it. So, I told <laughs> her, well, Monday morning, get a hold of the person who installed it and find out. But for some reason, it uh, and if, if that little connection thing isn't working, it's even if I charge the battery, it's still not going to click on the uh, submersible. So, yeah, and I mean, we've had I've had both um, both my sump pumps I've replaced in the last two years. Um, both have failed. Like the the pump itself has failed, um, and both have led to fairly major. Uh, well, I mean, major. You know, a couple of inches of water in the basement, which is it's you know because I planned for that. It's more of an inconvenience than anything, but it's still inconvenient. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's that two is one, one is none, test your gear, same stuff we say every single episode, um, right? And, you know, make sure that I have a hundred foot hose so I can actually discharge all that water out behind my property so it doesn't just come back in and I don't create a circular problem. Yeah, I guess diverting it far enough away from the hose is kind of key too because, yeah, like you said, I don't want to just flow right back. Yep. Um Speaking of diverting, uh, Darius, I think you have diversions on there as well, right? Yeah, so talked about that a little bit before, but whenever you're looking at um, flooding and that, just figuring out where the water, the main path is expected to take, and then if you can add some kind of uh, diversion, whether it's a trench or um, whether you can do something further upstream to just change the flow of that so that it goes, say, around your property, then that will work as well. Um, another thing that I was wondering about earlier as well with your individual properties and such, take a look at the um, ditches and areas like that around your property because if they're starting to get filled up, um, then that water is going to have nowhere to go and it's going to divert out of those ditches straight into your property. Yeah. Other thing to think about too with diversions is the, um, the you know, the federal agencies or the provincial agencies, if they're dealing with excess rainwater and you're upstream of a, you know, a controlled waterway, they're going to release that thing wide open to try and, you know, mitigate the, the overflow of the, the dams or whatever's upstream. So you might not even be anywhere near the excess rain. You might be 50 miles downstream, but you still could be affected by the flooding somewhere else just by the excess water flow too. So especially on the prairies. And let's not forget that one of the, one of the few things that you can rely on in life is like death taxes and water takes the flow of path, the flow of least resistance. Um, so no matter what, no matter what you do, you don't have to make, you don't have to make this, um, some big giant solution, right? Sandbagging works because it will it will hold back the majority of water while it goes somewhere else, right? Water's not gonna water's not trying to get onto your property. It's just trying to go where it's easiest. It's kind of like locking your doors. If you make your property harder for it to get onto, it's gonna go somewhere else. Yeah, and and I I kind of got the same thing uh, Darius was saying to keep keep any streams or ditches around your area. Uh, as clean as possible, keep the flow away from the house. But um, another thing that I sort of thought of was, especially if the back of your house or maybe even the front or the side is close to a fairly steep hill, you may want to try and do what you can to divert the water away from that hill 
maybe it's not going to flood your place, but if that dirt and ground gets wet enough, um, it could be a landslide. Doesn't necessarily have to be a flood. Just the the dirt gets so uh, so soaked that it just lets go, and now you've got a whole other problem. Yeah, when you have an area like that that um, is likely to erode faster, um, look into possibly figuring out what you can do to increase the integrity of those areas. Um, plants and stuff like that will often help just create root systems that keep those areas in place. That way it's not just a mudslide. Yep. One thing around the house too, I, I wanted to throw in there too, is like people don't always take care of their gutters. Uh, you know, or if it just takes a, a giant leaf to block the, you know, the exhaust of the, of the gutter system or whatever, the, the drain. So the yeah. So if it starts blocking the downspout there and it just uh, starts spilling onto your deck, it might flow back towards your house or anything else which should compound your problems. So just make sure I guess all your gutters have proper downspout clearance and everything's clear in the gutter. You're not building up too much stuff ahead of time. It's just preemptive maintenance, I guess. And the other thing I want to throw in too, which should come into play, I guess in January when we talk about it is livestock considerations. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the footage about all the cows getting rescued there in Abbotsford and everything else. So these cows were like up to their neck or nostrils almost on water type of thing. And they're trying to pull these cows under the water uh, obviously a bunch of them didn't make it, but they, they were, they were having to spend a lot of resources getting the livestock out of the way. Um, cause it's just not possible for a lot of these people to carry, you know, 200 head of cattle with 15 minutes notice out of the property. But, um, yeah, if you have a small amount of like precious livestock horses or large pets, even whatever, you still have to make some sort of uh, allowance for that to get them out of there. Well, wasn't the, uh, wasn't the number over 600,000 poultry died? Well, yeah, but I mean, it, it, one of those batteries alone, like a chicken battery is like, you know what, 200 meters long or whatever. One of those has probably thousands of chickens in it. So it doesn't take long for it to build up. Like those batteries are, are everywhere in the lower mainland, right? There's even okay. a couple like two miles down the road here that I think it's 30,000 chickens they've got at any one time. And that's a 30, 32 day rotation now between where they get a new crop of chickens in. So it's insane numbers in a small space. Ducks float, chickens don't. That's right. And not all ducks can swim, turns out. Muscovy ducks, they cannot swim. Hmm. There you go. Yeah. Which, again, I learned the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, how was I supposed to know turkeys couldn't fly? <laughs> I swear. <laughs> that was my witness. I thought turkeys could fly. Oh, I still man. love Les Nesman's commentary. That is the best <sighs> ever. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, that was, uh, imagine my shock when I had baby ducks here. There were Muscovies, and technically they're geese, I guess, nom- under the nomenclature system or whatever, but they're, they're called Muscovy ducks. And so the mama duck had some ducks crowded around a watering dish, and two of them drowned because they, they got their head in there. I was like, how did that happen? Like, shouldn't you guys, like, cork it right up? But no, they... Really? Well, there yeah. you go. So not all ducks can swim, but I think definitely safe to say all chickens can't swim. Definitely not. Okay, so and I wouldn't be able to stay airborne long enough to get to a tree, really, either. So, yep. not the way not the way they build them in in those batteries. Like they're all top heavy and everything else. They don't have enough wings. Like if you have like a heritage breed, that like some of them can actually roost up in trees, but right, not many. So just when you're choosing your livestock, that's probably a uh, uh, probably a consideration. If you live in a floodplain, choose uh, choose things that float. Yeah. Uh, Daryl brings up a good point with the uh, the downspouts to make sure they're not actually dumping up against the foundation as well. So yeah, you want to have the the diverter 
extension on the bottom of the downspout so they don't just pour right at the bottom of the house. Yep. Uh, add to your problems, but as as far away from your foundation as possible. Get okay. get like move as much water as you can as far away as you can. There you go. Uh, let's see here. What else can we talk about? I think we had for or preemptive stuff. That was pretty much it, I guess, eh? Yeah, I think that covers just about everything for preemptive. Fair enough. I guess the government can always pitch in. Uh, they can build the reservoirs ahead of time <laughs> to try and mitigate water levels. I'd rather not rely on that. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, that'll, that'll happen af well after the fact. They'll go, gee, we should have done that. Well, as we're learning in Abbotsford right now, too, where they're having to uh, rebuild the levees to a higher height now to make up for the last, uh, last flood. So they're like, oh. That's exactly, what's, exactly what's happened with Calgary is they completely flooded out, and now the government's gone and spent thousands and thousands of dollars into rebuilding everything. And then they've done a whole bunch of stream maintenance all the way upstream. Um, new dams, new levees, uh, new monitoring stations, all of it so that they don't get flooded out again. Well, which um, I'm thinking it's uh, Winnipeg, but don't tell me the Red River. Is that in Winnipeg? Yep. So that that's where it used to flood all the time. And finally, the government woke up and built a, a way around it, around the city for the, the excess water to flow so it didn't every yeah. year flood the uh, flood the city? Well, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because that's how they got the fertile farmland was with the flooding of the Red River. So they put all the silt onto the farmland, which made it nice and you know rich and, and productive. But then they built what they called Duff's Ditch around the city, um, which worked. It definitely kept the city from flooding, but then the farmland on the far side of the ditch stopped kind of producing as much as it used to. But now they've also, because the city's expanded, they went on the other side of the ditch. Now they've started building houses and everything else on the other side of the ditch, and they didn't want to spend the money on an extension of the, the diversion ditch. So, And let me guess, they're building the new houses in a floodplain. It, the, the entire Red River Valley is a floodplain all the way down to the <laughs> Dakotas. So yeah, they're definitely doing that. But hey, they'll figure it out. And I suppose if you if you're planning to build with your uh, when you're when you're when you are planning um, there are a few things you can do at the construction stage like setting your foundation a little bit higher uh, most foundations should sit above grade about 14 inches if you give yourself a few inches above that you'll probably be uh, you'll probably be good um, spend the money at construction doing the waterproofing membrane all around your all around your foundation and plan for your weeping tile and your divergent your diversions uh, well in advance and invest in backflow uh, prevention for all of your systems. Um, so if you happen to be building, that's probably a good way to help um, help manage that for for the future. Um, depending on the type of soil you're in, like I'm, you know, my property is all clay, so um, I if I don't have things graded properly and I don't have lots and lots of pipes pointing away from my house, things get wet really quickly. Fair enough. Uh, what else can we talk about here? I guess you want to talk about uh, some flood responses as well. You should also try telling the flood no. It, it cannot get into your property if you do not consent to it. It's trespassing. None shall pass. None <laughs> shall pass. Uh -huh. So yeah, I guess if you got one incoming, uh, we should probably talk about flood response here. Uh, let's see here. 
we talked about evacuation, yeah, exactly. did we not? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about evacuation. Um, don't be one of the people who, when you're told that there's a flood coming, sits there and goes, well, I'll be okay in my house, don't worry about it, and refuses to leave. <laughs> the amount of people who refuse to leave when they're told that you know their property is going to be flooded over by huge amounts of water just causes a lot more health and safety concerns later on. There was a there was a story about that. Uh, uh, house was flooding. Woman was sitting on the roof, and neighbor came by in a boat, and he said, "Come on, let's go." And she said, "No, no, God will provide. God will take care of me." And then the police came by in their boat, and she said, "No, I, I'm okay. God will God will provide." And then the army came by in their boat, and she said, "No, that's okay. God will provide." And then um, she died. Of course, she drowned because she didn't take the boats, and she. Got to heaven, and she said, "God, why didn't you? Why didn't you save me?" And he said, "I sent three boats." <laughs> I was waiting for the punchline of that one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like it, we flood, we we get floods, right? If you live anywhere near water, be aware of that. Pay attention to the pay attention to the riverbanks around you, right? We're, you know, I I'm about ten miles from ten miles from the nearest uh, from the nearest major water source. Um, I drive by it on a consistent basis, and I keep I keep an eye on it. And boy, that's looking high. I should probably make sure that I've got everything ready to go just in case. Um, be prepared to leave in fifteen minutes. And I think like we've done we've done episodes about bugging out before. Go back and listen to them. Like um, have extra routes that point away from the water, right? Mm -hmm. And be aware of whatever other water sources, whatever other you know areas might also be flooded out keep your ear on the radio keep your ear on your emerge on your your amateur nets and on your commercial radio sources because they're going to have all the most up-to-date information about what's open what's closed and you don't want because you don't want to get stuck you don't want to get stuck right don't try and drive when you can't see the road plain and simple uh, you know, if it's a localized puddle because a catch basin's over full, that's one thing. But if you can't see the road, if it's washed out under you, it, it'll take you. It'll take your car, your 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 jacked up truck with you without any uh, without any hesitation. So, um, go around it. Any any flooding, go around it. Another point wasn't, on wasn't that, that is one of the, the, when you talked about the people on the wasn't that one of the major causes of uh, all of the massive fatalities for Hurricane Katrina was people. Were told to leave they wouldn't leave they wouldn't leave they got up yeah. into their attic because the water kept coming up and once they got to their attic they couldn't get out yep and they yep. just drowned in their attic yep that, that was one yep. that was one of the big causes like there were uh, i like there were there were a few major causes but the you can attribute all but about all but about 10 percent, probably 90 percent of the fatalities related to hurricane katrina are directly result uh are a direct result of not evacuating when they when they sh darn well needed to Right, like they knew that this was going to be bad. They knew that they should evacuate five days in advance, and didn't do anything. Didn't do anything. Didn't do anything. And then all of a sudden, we're in a they really didn't bad have spot. Chance. And then you can't. Yeah. So just going back quickly to your um, keeping an eye on the water levels and such, also check with your municipalities on what they have in place. Um, I know here in Alberta, 
we actually have uh, river level monitoring stations that are just remote stations. I can pop online and check the water levels for multiple different points uh, through most of the province just to say where ma all the major flood lines are and what the water level is at that area and then what's normal for those areas. Well, that's pretty cool. I'm just doing a quick search right now to see if uh, um, see if that information well, of, is available. Now, one of the one of the major um, rivers around our area is the Grand River, and they've got they've got the conservation authority, and they're always, you know, putting out if there's massive rain, they'll put out flood advisories or or whatever for the the conservation area, and um, people just they need to pay attention. It was. Uh, Sad story, but uh, a lady went around one of the barricades and her vehicle uh, washed away with her three-year-old in it and he died. So, I mean, they're, they're there for a reason and they give you warnings for a reason. Well, I think when the time comes, the search and rescue capability locally is going to be limited at best, right? And so I think they're expecting most people to, to wipe their own ass. And so, you know, when you come to a situation like that, there's no possible way they can have somebody in place to help you at that point. So... I mean, yeah, maybe re reserve the search and rescue people for like the mobility issue people or whatever. You should be able to like, yeah, get out of there on your own reasonably fast. Yep. Yeah, probably a good idea. I mean, you know, even the even the urban search and rescue teams, right? Like, even if we're just talking about how long it takes to respond, um, like if my SAR team got stood up to do that, we'd have very limited capabilities to actually evacuate somebody that was immobile uh, from a house. Urban search and rescue is coming, but they're anywhere from six to 24 hours from uh, from being um, being deployable so it's it's good it's, help is coming it just takes time whether that time works with your needs or not is a different question and uh, just going back to Darius um, Darius's point about the uh, water monitoring I just looked at my local conservation authorities website and they've got like day over day data of what the levels are like and well frankly it's not looking terribly good for the last two days so <laughs> i can imagine uh yeah trending only one direction i'm sure yeah um so yeah i guess uh as well as flood response we should probably talk about humanitarian aid uh, availability and stuff like that yeah so um couple things with this so once we're dealing with a flood that's already happened you know everybody who's out and who's gotten out that could um, is safe everybody else well they'll send search and rescue fire department everyone else in to try and get as many people out as possible but then everybody has to go back to what could be a completely flooded out area that they can no longer live in because it's too dangerous so when the floods happen, we're talking major sewage backups, um, Dead power lines, yeah, power lines going down, all that kind of stuff. Contamination makes, from uh, from vehicles that have been flooded. You got the oils, the yep. gasoline, all that stuff sneaking yep. out. Absolutely. Yeah, and then you suddenly have all of that just soaked in with the topsoil on every possible surface and it'll rot straight through houses and destroy pretty much anything so when you're in a heavily flooded out area it's 
in most cases going to be a complete teardown and rebuild. Yep. So that's when they have, you know, humanitarian aid services come in. I know in BC right now, one of the biggest ones is the Red Cross up there who's just giving everybody, you know, places to stay and food while they try and figure out what can be done for anybody who's had houses washed out. Well, you bring up a really good point with all the stuff in the water, too. Is this is where the old cliche of like a cut finger can be deadly, you know, comes into play because of who knows what that ditch water is containing, right? Exactly. Or, really cool. or, yeah, or even, um, and, and uh, I can't remember where I read it, but basically, even be careful of, of any food that had been grown that if any of that water even went over it, it's all, it's all contaminated. They said there's, I, I can't remember the article, but they said there were hundreds and hundreds of acres of field that they're just going to have to plow everything under, even if the crop looks good. It's going to be contaminated, and it may even take a couple of years for all of the the contamination to get over the soil before they could even grow again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that uh, scene from what is it? Uh, Day after tomorrow, where he cuts his leg on the bumper of the car, and then underwater, instantly infected. Well, even that National Geographic special has a thing on the same same idea where the guy got a mild cut and, yeah, went downhill fast. Yeah. And then the other thing with that is that once an area is finally safe for people to go back to, um, the first thing they're going to do is send in all your emergency crews. They're going to send in... Uh, law enforcement, depending on the severity, oftentimes military data support services to assist with um, supply. They'll also send in electrical linemen to assess the area for re-energizing the lines. So they will then have to do a full inspection of all of the lines in the entire area repair anything that's down, repair anything that's um, damaged too much to remain in the place that it's at, test the structural integrity of the remaining poles to make sure that, you know, the erosion in the ground beneath them wasn't too bad before they can then attempt to re-energize those lines Mm -hmm. if the uh, transformers weren't blown. The recovery definitely takes some time. There's no question. And the worse it is, the longer it takes. Um, there's, uh, I mean, there, you know, where, where I grew up in London, um, there's a pretty famous flood there early, early 1930s where both branches of the river managed to crest at the same time. And like 50 kilometers all around was all, 10 feet underwater and there's still markers um, around the city. If you look, if you look for them, there's still markers of where, where that water came up and they were 30 years in some, in some cases recovering from that. Well, I think we kind of circled around it, but really didn't really touch on it directly too, is after the flood, you know, I guess you won't have any drinkable water out of your local well, if you're on a well, or even the city water system is probably out of service for a while. So water filters, being able to provide your own water, that's kind of key. Uh, assuming that you come back to the area and yeah, definitely like have, 
you know, have a place to go, right? We've talked about bugging out. Um, it's not that you won't be able to come home, but it might just be a much longer process than you'd like it to be. So while, um, you know, while you're rebuilding, while you're recovering, it's really important to have somewhere else to be. And especially the, the big thing is going to be if you're, if your house got water in it, doesn't matter the level of water, your house got water in it, guaranteed you're going to have mold. So you're going to be into a whole mold remediation. And I mean, you're not just going to be able to come back and throw stuff in the fridge and expect you're going to be fine. Daryl brings up a good point. The CO detector could get flooded. <laughs> 50, 56 minutes. That might be a record. I was, I was trying to I go, that is, well, wow. I was trying to go an episode without it. Um, whatever, whatever your whatever your, um, your recovery efforts are when you're doing things like running generators to power fans and dehumidifiers, make sure that you're doing so in a safe and effective manner. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Thanks, Denny. Or sorry, Daryl. <laughs> and actually, Denny brings up a good point there. He goes, I have a water tester for contamination as well. Um, kind of curious as to what, what would it show? Like if it's showing like E. coli or, or Giardia or whatever, but be interesting to see what he's got on that. Anyway, uh, what else we got? I think this is that almost it. I think we've covered yeah, everything on the list twice. Yeah, I think that's just about it. Yeah, the only thing I wanted to uh, throw out there is um, pay attention to the the time of year as well. Um, a rainstorm in the middle of August that won't cause a single problem could flood you out in end of February, early March, when the ground is still frozen and there's nowhere for the water to go. So, you know, a, a small rainstorm at that time could flood you out, where in the middle of summer, it, the ground doesn't even hardly get wet. Yeah, so what's, what's, a, what's a hazard at one point, what time of year isn't necessarily a hazard another time of year. Yep. That's a really good point. Hmm. Uh, listener D says that they're manufacturing... Uh, well, water desalination or at least uh, decontamination kits in Calgary for water cleanup for first stations. We're also doing them in 40-foot sea containers, uh, mobile units that will do 1 million gallons per day per unit for disaster relief. That's pretty Amazing. cool. That's incredible. I'm, I want to know more about that, D. If you, uh, yeah, please. Um, if, if you're allowed to talk about it, I'd love to do another water episode. I want to learn everything there is to know about this because I was thinking about that actually as a um, – as a potential solution is, is having uh, like portable decontamination units. So, um I also highly recommend watching the movie "Here in the Army Now" with Paulie Shore. <laughs> uh, classic movie, anyways. Well, All right, I, Ian, I, that's it. This, this is this is your last. Uh, if you're recommending Paulie Shore movies, oh yeah. Um, oy. Well, come on. He he joins the water uh, purification brigade because he figures it was the easiest way to get through army service without having to see the front lines. And it turns out that was the very first unit get that gets sent to the front lines because water is so important. He didn't realize that, and it was it was pretty awesome actually. Oh man. Anyway, enough with Polly Shore. <laughs> always. It's always enough with Polly Shore. <laughs> Maybe dating myself there. Uh let's see here. What else we got? Uh yeah, the collapsed buildings and they yeah, re energizing lines, I guess. Power's gonna be out for a while, might not come on as soon as you show up back at your old property, but also, if you don't do a little bit of homework of your own uh, in your house and maybe have those those power bars sitting on your house, there could be some hazards where they do re-energize everything. So maybe uh, consider flipping your own breaker off just to, to do your own double check. Yep, absolutely. Especially, especially if you're using the Widowmaker generator cords or everything else. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, there is one thing I will bring up on that. Um, if you have, for some reason, um, 
backup generators connected to your house, um, and this goes for flooding or just standard uh, major power outages or anything, be careful that you have the proper um, rated shutoff switches for those. Otherwise, they'll create what's called a back energize of the line um, and can be very hazardous to any linemen who are doing inspections of the line before they re-energize because your generator will be energizing those lines that, as far as they're aware, have no power going into them because the substations are down. Um, it's caused a lot of deaths to happen as a result of that, just because people diluted their own self-installation of a generator to run their house, but don't have those proper switches to stop it from feeding the lines. Yeah, the, the transfer switch, it's a bit of a problem. But I understand now that from my buddy that actually works for Hydro as well, he says they can they can test the line before they even approach it just to see if anybody's doing it, but they can't prevent it from if somebody like energizes it while they're working on it. So that's the big problem, right? So... They can sense if it's live ahead of time, but they can't do anything if the guy suddenly flips it on. So if you're going to do something like that, at the very least, please get a proper transfer switch or at least flip your main breaker or some sort of mitigation factor. Yeah, I mean, so. aside from the human element of you don't want to be responsible for killing somebody, um, if somebody gets hurt or dies in the recovery process, it makes that recovery process take longer. Cool. Uh, well, I guess time to move on to the podcast challenge. Really simple. Make your basement preps the least susceptible to flooding that you can. Get everything up off the ground. Um, divert, dam, dike. Make sure your sump pumps are working. Have a plan for if the power goes out. That's it. Show us what you did. Tell us what you did. Whether you want to send pictures or not, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. And we can. Uh, we'd love to talk about this on a future episode again. Deal of the week? The deal of the week is from our uh, usual friend at Princess Auto. Uh, we mentioned this in the last episode for just uh, Christmas prepper gifts or whatever. Uh, they have a set of four-gauge booster cables for $12.22. That's my favorite price. I love that, twelve twenty-two. <laughs> you can buy so many things there for twelve twenty-two. I spent an hour there yesterday or Friday, and just I don't even know what happened. It just came out. $400 poor and all but <laughs> the cart full of stuff in the back of my truck that my wife doesn't currently know about. It feels like so much of a better deal than twelve ninety nine. It does. Fun. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Oh, uh, oh D actually uh, offers to do a live presentation for you over the show if you ever I want am, to. I am actually sending D an email right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Well, D, uh, mark it on the calendar. You're probably coming up here on the, the 9th of January or somewhere around there. We'll get yep. you on here. Uh, let's see here. What else is good to go on? Uh, shout out. Same we got a shout out. Um, just the listeners. It's, this has been another great, uh, another great interactive uh, episode. We love doing this live, and uh, love hearing seeing the seeing the comments on Facebook and YouTube. It uh, it really makes this a lot more fun. Otherwise, it's just the three of us, or four of us, or however many on the panel talking to each other. And uh, you know, as much as I love poking fun at Ian and Jeff, it's a whole lot better when there's uh, when there's more voices involved. And Eric, but yes, Eric. You're saying that I should go back to the chat and start chirping more then? Absolutely. We love that. <laughs> I, I love that. And actually, yeah. Uh, too. where are you guys? I got to tell you, uh, Freya, too, I'm not ignoring you, uh, but we're going to be talking about animals here on the 2nd of January, and I'm going to bring up those points about the ducks as well, so we'll, we'll get to that. I'm, I'm not just ignoring you because I want to. Um, 
Discord link I threw in the chat. That's going to go to the show notes as well for the people. So if they want to join the Discord group, that'd be swell. Uh, just to join us. It's a very good little tight community. It's probably about 100 people now, and it seems to be really active. So that's yeah. good. Um, yeah, it's definitely, definitely never up. stops going off. That's for sure. Yeah. And no shortage of memes either, which is good. Uh, email <laughs> and <laughs> iTunes reviews. So we got one from uh, John. And he just said, uh, I believe this goes back to our um, two episodes ago. Um, but he Perfect. just said, your suggestion of, quote, music stunned me. In many decades of prepping, I've never seen or heard of such a simple idea, which would add so much value to your everyday life after disaster. Yeah, I guess that's for what to put in your Faraday box, probably. And then, uh, yes. yeah, yes. did make sense totally, so. Hmm. Oh, sorry, I got distracted by my emails. Uh, <laughs> uh, Darren, and I'm not sure if that's... Oh, no, we oh it's, it's our regular Darren. It's our regular Darren? Okay. Yeah. So uh, Darren um, po- uh, did complete one of our podcast challenges, and he uh, said, what are we going to put in our in his Faraday box? So what he has is a battery-powered shortwave radio, two-way radios, an MP3 player for the kids, or MP3 players for the kids, Earphones, a portable solar charger, USB cables, battery banks, digital clock and calendar. Ooh, I like that. And smoke alarms. And I really hope those are both smoke and CO detectors. Well, naturally. There. Got it. Uh, but that's that's a great that's a great kit to uh, to just have a, a backup set of things just in case. Um, and especially being able to keep the kids occupied um, in the event of a major major emergency. Um, it's a great, great setup. Love it. Uh, if anybody else completed their podcast challenge and built a Faraday box, I'd love to hear what you've got in it. Again, send us pictures or send us, you know, come on the air and talk about it. Uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Cool. Well, I guess with that, I guess uh, we'll bring episode 141 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please help us out and submit a review. It helps other people find us. We do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast. Click the notifications tab. It gives you an alert when we're going live. You can get me directly by email, alan, and that's with one L, at prepperpodcast.ca. Every once in a while, I actually check them, usually on the air. And you can uh, reach me at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. That is if Eric decides to come back and forward it to me. <laughs> And if anybody wants to get a hold of me, just head on over to the uh, Prepper Podcast Discord, and I'm there pretty much all day, every day. Cool. Uh, anybody wants to get a hold of me, you can reach uh, me directly by emailing, emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. Yeah, I'm on Discord quite a bit, too. It's, it's kind of addictive after a while. Um, you can also find me, however, on Canadian Pager Podcast, which is also on iTunes and YouTube, recording Monday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, let's see here. Email us if you want to invite to the Discord, and then you can find me discussing on the Canadian Patriot Podcast why government waste and society makes you buy sandbags for reasons. Flood mitigation. And yes. That is all. No, not for pillboxes. That is all. No, that's uh, definitely not. <laughs> Flood anyway. mitigation. <laughs> right. Anyways, thanks for joining us. Until next time, you can be prepared to stay safe. And keep learning. <laughs> <laughs>